This message was recorded during a Cornerstone U class given at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. All righty. So, Mike was uh, talking about older older people and the benefit of having older people around. I was, I was like, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Even though... People have been at this task for a very long time. Parenting remains a monumental task. Uh, The thought of taking on the responsibility for and nurture of little human beings uh, just isn't one to be taken lightly, obviously. And if we were left simply to figure this out on our own with only our wits to navigate Uh, through every situation and challenge that comes along the way, we would be hard-pressed not to despair. So, first of all, knowing that you come into this monumental task from a Christian perspective gives me and your other pastors tremendous hope because you aren't just relying on your own wits, but you're seeking counsel and you're seeking help based upon your faith. So I want to begin by saying thank you for your faith. And thank you for your trust in your church to serve you and to be able to help you. Your wise parents seeking wisdom. And that is a very, very hopeful situation indeed. All right, our attention Today, or our aim today, is to to seek to try to bring a little bit of attention and consideration to the presence of so many unbiblical approaches to parenting that are out there uh, that can influence us in unhelpful ways. Christian parents today are raising their kids in a culture that is just steeped in therapeutic terminology, therapeutic language. Uh, a focus on personality as the driving thing to consider instead of thinking of categories like uh, seeking to understand the child's sin. Uh, The idea that discipline help or hurts self-esteem, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There's, there's, uh, there's myriad of things out there floating around and we're not going to try to cover them all uh, playing whack-a-mole against all that the culture is throwing at us, but rather just want to give you uh, a reminder of where we begin as Christian parents and where we stand as we seek to parent our kids for God's glory and our children's good. Um, The other day, I did type in parenting strategies in Google and returned 607 million hits. They included what are the four parenting styles, followed by what are the five pillars of parenting? What are the four R's of parenting? What are the four A's of parenting? What are the four E's of parenting? What are the four F's of parenting? And what are the four C's of parenting? You could spend 607 million moments looking at everything that the world says, this is, this is what, it, what you need. If you only had this, if you only had this strategy, then you would have it licked. 
So obviously, there are an awful lot of opinions out there about what constitutes helpful advice, and you've probably run across some of them. Or possibly you've been tempted to simply rely on your own childhood experiences. Uh, some may have had experiences from their upbringing that were not so good. You say, well, I'm not going to do that. And some may figure, well, you know, I turned out not so bad, and so I'm basically okay, so I'll, I'll do things like, like my folks did. Or perhaps you wonder if there's actually something better out there than our culture's advice or just less, lessons from your own past, good or bad. And it turns out the Lord has wonderful overarching guidance as well as specific guidance that equips us and sets us on our way to encounter all the wonderful and challenging things parenting will throw at us. And it is, it is a lifetime sort of thing. There, there definitely are exhausting things about having little tiny ones. There's definitely exhausting things about having little toddlers, and there's definitely exhausting things about middle school, and there are exhausting things about teenage years. And, uh, and I will... I will say it doesn't stop getting complicated. Um, our kids are both married now, and they're having to work through all of the in-law type of things and all that, and, and they want help from us on how to do it. So it just doesn't get to the point where, where you say, I'm done, and now my job is over. Uh, instead, it's, it's a lifetime commitment of saying, um, how can I, as one who walks 20-something years ahead of these little human beings uh, seek to serve them for the rest of my days. Um, not that we'll be mommy and daddy to them for the rest of, of, their, of their years. They've gotten to the point now where, where really I see them much more as peers, as Christian brothers and sisters. Um, but uh, our hope and, um, and all is that, is that they would always see us as... as um, trusted, wise counselors who have gone a few steps before them, uh, and that they would always see us as a resource to come and, and get encouragement and help uh, for whatever it is that they face. So uh, the Lord guides us in these things, and the Lord sets us up to be able to enjoy that kind of wonderful experience, and uh, that's where we want to make sure that we are focusing our attention. Um, Mike mentioned the the deep dive on shepherding a child's heart. Uh, I, I looked back at this book again, uh, thinking about, about this class tonight, and the, the book is just so good. <laughs> it is just so good. So uh, I want to echo Mike's encouragement to, to really uh, give consideration to doing this deep dive uh, of this book coming up um, because... Ted is a guy who has an awful lot of wisdom uh, that he shares, and he has a wonderful biblical and God-honoring um, uh, approach to how we can, we can think about, about parenting. I dug out my version of the book. We've come a long way in uh, Christian book covers from when... So I'm sure, I'm sure if you go looking for shepherding a child's heart, it's not going to look like, like this one. However, uh, it is a, a wonderful, wonderful book. Um, in it, uh, 
trip really orients us to the Lord's intentions for our, our parenting and gives us honorable and good goals for it and lays out the freedom and the joy to be had uh, as we embrace God's view of this. I want to I want to commend uh, the deep dive. I want to commend the book. I, I'd actually would, would like to, to read to you uh, from David Pallison's foreword uh, for this book. Um, if you're not familiar with David Pallison, uh, very influential in, in my um, <clears throat> growing in, in counseling uh, experience and so forth. He was the head of uh, the Christian Counseling and Education Foundation for many years. Uh, went to go be with the Lord a few years back. Um, but uh, just a tremendous gift to, to the church and to all of us. So here's what David had to say from the foreword. Most books on parenting give you advice either on how to shape and constrain your children's behavior or on how to make them feel good about themselves. Either control or self-actualization is deemed the goal of parenting. The former makes parental wishes supreme the latter makes childish wishes supreme. Shepherding a child's heart contains something very different. The book teaches you what your goals as a parent ought to be and how to pursue those ends practically. Most books on parenting actually don't understand what children or parents are really like. Their advice builds on a foundation untrue to scripture, untrue to human reality. Their bits of good advice mingle with bits of bad advice because the overarching vision is faulty. Their bits of good advice totter or misfire because the balancing elements of wise parenting are neglected. Ted Tripp's book is different. The cornerstone is accurately aligned. Shepherding a Child's Heart understands you and your children truly, so it leads in straight and wise paths. Trip gives you a vision, and he makes it practical. You can't ask for more. I can't uh, commend this book more effectively than, than he does in that one. Uh, lays out to you in two broad categories what we tend to face in uh, counsel and advice that strays from God's clear directives for us. Um, and if it is, in fact, just trying to control our kids or just trying to make, uh, make them feel good about themselves, there's something much better. There's something much better for that. So I think it's going to be a very worthwhile endeavor to study this book again. And uh, in the meantime, let's briefly review some of what we're up against and where we can turn. All right. First of all, the World's Council. So what does the world offer us in this monumental task? Well, included in the 607 million hits for parenting strategies are categories that are, at a minimum, man-centered, if not entirely God-absent. Uh, Mike mentioned the, uh, the BuzzFeed article that, that he sent me earlier uh, in the week, and... <clears throat> The, the title of the thing probably says it all. Uh, it says, here's 20 things that millennials are going to do different in raising their kids, and I want a millennial to adopt me. Like, like <laughs> yuck. <laughs> uh, 
because this, uh, yeah, this was this was all about about saying, uh, gosh, if I were if I were a kid growing up in what this is being presented, uh, gosh, it just sounds so very very wonderful. Uh, sadly, it's not wonderful. It's it's um, it's it's setting up for something really really. Um, there's going to be an awful lot of challenges for people growing up with that kind of that kind of paradigm. Uh, that that um, the people growing up in a in a God-centered paradigm uh, are not going to face. Uh, Mike is right to say that that uh, the kids who have parents who expect obedience uh, end up being happier. Um, if you do it God's way, it tends to work out well. Uh, he's not a harsh taskmaster who just says, "Do it like this because I say so," and sorry that it's hard. What he always, always, always says is, hey, look, I have some guidance for you. Do it my way, and you'll be so glad. Uh, that's always how it works. So God being faithful, um, if we sit and say, uh, you know, I, I want to make sure that what I'm doing is first and foremost embracing what the Lord has to say to me when I think about parenting or any other aspect of my life. Um, there's a promise out there. The promise out there is that God says it will go well for you. So kind of like the, the, uh, the fifth commandment, you know, honor your mother and father and it will go well with you. Um, there's always these promises that say, give my way a try. <laughs> see, what, see how it goes if you, if you do things my way. Uh, sadly, we, we try to come up with things that we think are uh, more effective or, um, you know, more up-to-date than that old-fashioned Bible stuff. All right. So um, the world's counsel, the world's strategies. Um, you know, it's, it's tricky the way the world works, isn't it? Um, because when the world puts forth some things, uh, they can get traction with us at times because because they can promise solutions <clears throat> to, the, to the issues that we face. So, you know, there may be an article out there that, that says, you know, what if your kid won't eat his broccoli? You know, you're not going to open up Obadiah 2 and have directly, you know, there in God's word say, children must eat broccoli. You know, it, you don't get that. But what you might get with the world is, again, 607 million different things that say, I bet if you bring an issue to our attention, we have an answer for you. And that can seem tempting at times, can't it? So these things can, can, can get a little bit of traction with us because, because they promise solutions. They also tend to have little elements of truth to them. But just as Satan deceived our first parents in the garden. Uh, these strategies distort the truth uh, because God is absent from uh, what, they are, what they are proposing. So let's briefly touch on a couple of these, of these categories. First, uh, the idea of therapeutic strategies. Now, the idea behind therapeutic strategies is basically... We want to help people feel better. Well, helping people and alleviating their difficulties isn't such a bad thing, right? 
I mean, heal the sick, bind up brokenhearted. That's the kind of stuff Jesus is about, isn't he? But don't forget the context in which Jesus would do these things. Whenever he was serving people, it was always in the context of a bigger picture. And the bigger picture is the glory of God and what God is doing in a person's life. Language that simply ignores or denies God while pursuing feeling better is not what we want. That has an immediate kind of attraction to it, but in the end will be left wanting uh, afterwards because though the issue at hand may have been addressed somewhat, we will miss out on something so much better, which is the, what's God at work in the midst of this? What might God be doing in the midst of this struggle or in the midst of this particular challenge that we face? And that's where things start getting really, really interesting. It's so much better than just saying, let me ease the difficulty of this situation that I face. Rather, what I want to say is, given the situation that I face, what might God be doing in this? And how might the Lord have me walk in this in a way that may result in alleviation of things, certainly will result in my experiencing communion with the living God in the midst of it. That's so much better. And when Jesus heals the sick and binds up the brokenhearted, he always does so in the context of saying, the Lord is at work. The kingdom is at hand. Things are going. You're a part of something bigger than yourself. All right. So we don't want to simply just pursue after feeling better. Uh, it is, in fact, actually counterproductive if we unintentionally convince someone that, you know, like, for example, just only that they're a victim. If we, if we only say the way that I make you feel better is to agree with you that you're a victim in this, there's something missing. We're not just sad victims with an impotent God sitting on the sidelines, maybe feeling sorry for us or for our kids. There's something much bigger than that. So uh, sometimes the therapeutic language and therapeutic strategies will say, uh, you know, it, it will actually make people feel better if someone would just agree with them that what they're going through is hard. Okay, you're a victim. Ah, I feel better that somebody finally believes me. There's something better than that. <laughs> There's something better that we can offer people, and it's not just that. Or maybe you run across strategies that, that, are, that are arguing for something like this. Really, the thing is, is that children's personalities are kind of driving whatever, and so what you need to do is you just need to embrace the personality differences of your kids and just understand that the reason that they're acting up this way is because that's just part of their personality, and you don't want to quash that. Because if you do, you'll be doing damage to, to their personhood. And what that, 
what that does is that that ignores the fact that every one of our sweet little children born is born in sin. And every one of them needs a savior. And every one of them needs a gospel. And so it, it's good to recognize that, that kids are, are, are unique and they're, they're different from one another. There, there are personality differences and so forth. And, and we shouldn't treat them as cookie cutter human beings because they're not. Uh, my two kids could not be more different from each other. Uh, and, and so uh, there's, just, there's just no way that we could have treated the two of them the same way. Uh, if we did, we would have not reached either one of them. So we needed to tailor how we sought to try to reach them, but we didn't just excuse their behaviors and, and tendencies just, and just write it off as this is part of, of personality. Uh, it's appropriate to, to recognize individuality and, and, uh, and so forth, but, but again, justifying their behavior um, actually trains the child uh, to disregard their need for a gospel. If, if, we, if we say, if we carry that logic too far, um, born this way becomes a mantra for all kinds of justifying of behaviors that, that God commands against. Um, it's not too much of a step uh, to say, hey, this is just my personality playing out, and so, um, you know, you, you can't, you can't tell me to change that. I was born this way. Um, if you're not careful, you, you basically deny that you need a gospel. And we definitely don't want to do that with our kids. And certainly the most popular perspectives out there uh, based on an awful lot that has come out of psychological circles in the past 50 years or so is this uh, idea of a focus on self-esteem as the most important thing uh, to pursue. And self-esteem focus mistakenly seeks to build a person up in him or herself, end of story, instead of building a person up in the dignity and value and beauty of the individual redeemed in Christ. Why do I need a savior if I'm already so good in and of myself? Um, that's a problem. We do want them to think of themselves as valuable and dignified and worthwhile because, because they are in Christ. We want to have the aim of our parenting be that one day uh, this person whom we love is going to experience the joy and the freedom and the significance of being in Christ. I don't want to do anything that lessens my child's desire for something greater than what he or she just is on his own or her own. Does that make sense? I want them yearning for something greater. And there is something greater. So I don't want to 
keep building up self-esteem, what I want to do is I want to say, um, hey, you know what? Um, you're just like you're just like me. You're just like me in the sense that, you know what, I, I needed something more. There's, there's something about me that wasn't quite right. There's something about me that said, I need, I need help. I need to be saved because I keep, I keep doing dumb things. I keep doing wrong things. I, I know what I'm supposed to do, but I don't do it. I, I need somebody to come and save me from, from that. There's something not quite right about me. And then the Savior comes. And then I say, because of him, I have a new understanding of who I am and what I'm like. The way that my Heavenly Father views me. My Heavenly Father looks upon me now, even me knowing what I know about myself. My Heavenly Father looks upon me and says, my beloved child... With you, I am well pleased. Enter into the joy of my kingdom in my presence for all eternity. Wow. That's so much better than, gosh, Jeff is such a great guy. What an athlete. Good looking guy. That's so much better to say, I needed something beyond me. I needed something outside of myself. I needed a savior. I needed Christ. All right. So in the end, uh, these man-centered strategies have got some flaws. Um, I, would, I would boil them down into kind of two fundamental flaws. David sort of mentioned it earlier in that foreword where they, they tend to be either seeking to build up the, uh, the self-actualization of the child or to just control the child to make it, make it easier. Um, so they, those, are, those are kind of the basic two fundamental flaws. So uh, first of all, another way to say that would be that, that uh, it kind of assumes the child is the only measure of what's at issue. Um, and so we, we kind of put the, the onus of responsibility on the kid. <laughs> And, and, and we say the kid is going to be able to decide for himself or decide for, for herself. And, and I'm going to let the kid guide how things go. But how foolish is that? Um, there's no way that, that, that these children um, are ready to bear the burden of responsibility uh, to understand and to guide him or herself. And expecting that they would be able to just doesn't train the child to grow up yearning for and enjoying living under God's authority. Um, I don't want to teach my kid to be autonomous. I don't want to teach my kid that they are the measure of all things and it all ends with them. I want to teach my kid that authority is a wonderful and good thing because ultimately we have a heavenly father who is our authority who is wonderful and good. <laughs> I'm so glad to live under his authority. I don't want to be in charge of myself. I want him to be in charge. And I want to teach my, my kids that. Now, you know, the world seems to be pretty good at, 
at understanding the limitations of children's physical development, but, but when it comes to some of these moral and ethical and spiritual categories, uh, just woefully confused about what a child can handle. I mean, it's, it's laughable when you look at what the world comes up with, you know, saying that an eight-year-old child is sufficient to be able to choose his or her own gender identity. But they can't drive until they're 16. And you can't vote until you're 18, and you can't buy liquor until you're 21, and you can't rent a car until you're 25. What you want in the world? <laughs> they they're they're just so they're just so confused. What gives? Um, so uh, what it what it ends up doing is it ends up encouraging parents to abdicate um, their appropriate authority to train and nurture uh, their children in moral and ethical development. Um, trying to do something that sounds sweet, like validating every one of their feelings and and thoughts that this immature child would hold, and then just expecting maturity to magically come about uh, to the point that one day when they're 26, they can rent a car. All right, so <clears throat> first fundamental flaw is failing to appreciate that children need authority outside of themselves. Uh, they can't be the measure of all things themselves. Secondly, man-centered strategies can actually just be selfish responses on the part of parents. Um, they don't want to do the hard work of training and developing maturity. They'd like to have their children's behavior modified so that their own lives are made easier. Uh, children are just a gift from the Lord. They're a gift from the Lord not because they're easy to manage or because having them makes your life run much more smoothly. But because of their inherent dignity of image bearers of God and our profound privilege of being used by God to serve them, they are a gift given for the purpose of God's glory. Um, and that's, that's just exciting. That's exciting to think. I would be brought into God's plans to glorify himself through lives that I get to be responsible for for, for some amount of time. What an incredible thing. Um, so will it be hard? Yep. Will it be uh, confusing and, and, uh, and difficult? Uh, yeah, uh, it, it will be. Um, but, but God is, is faithful. And so uh, that's what the promise is in a biblical approach, which is what we're going to shift to next. So a biblical approach. What's a parent to do? Uh, the wonderful truth is that God has not been silent about parenting. Uh, so I want to read just a little section uh, from Ted Tripp from, from Shepherding a Child's Heart. He writes, the only safe guide is the Bible. It is the revelation of a God who has infinite knowledge and can therefore give you absolute truth. God has given you a revelation that is robust and complete. It presents an accurate and comprehensive picture of children, parents, 
family life, values, training, nurture, discipline, all you need to be equipped for the task of parenting. God's ways have not proved inadequate. They are simply untried. A biblical vision involves being authorities who are kind, shepherding your children to understand themselves in God's word, world, and keeping the gospel in clear view so your children can internalize the good news. And someday live in mutuality with you as the people of God. What a vision. <laughs> what a vision to say one day they'll leave from my house uh, and they will join me as being part of the people of God. And we will praise together, we will worship together, we will serve the Lord together, we will fellowship together, we'll experience the grace of God together. And I have a little part to play in them getting to that place. Uh, amazing. The most exciting thing to me in biblical counseling is getting to help someone embrace communion with the living God. Uh, I don't ever fix people or their problems, um, but I remind them who God is and what he has said, who they are because of Christ, and the hope they have in his ongoing presence and grace. Every counseling case is different. Each person and circumstance is unique. So there aren't any cookie-cutter strategies for biblical counseling, just like there aren't any cookie-cutter strategies for biblical parenting. But there is a faithful God who has said, let me give you some guidance and let me assure you that I'm with you and that I will never leave you. I have grace for you in the most difficult of times. Trust me. Uh, Julie Lowe, another counselor uh, at CCEF, served for many years up there. And here's how she explains the unique opportunity we have with each individual child. I have um, an article from her to, to give to you all. I think we have 50 or so copies. So uh, if you guys can, can share, that would be great. Uh, and she writes this. The thing to remember is that while the biblical principles remain universal and unchanging, the way they are applied in specific ways is unique to each family's personalities, gifts, difficulties, and circumstances. God gives much more liberty in how we live out godly principles in family life than we often give ourselves. Do you hear the freedom in that? Do you hear the, just how joyful that can be to be able to say, God's given me some, some basic principles He's promised to, to be by my side and to give me grace. And I can parent these individual kids uh, with freedom and with confidence. Isn't that so much better than searching 607 million hits for the, for the, the thing that fits the issue at hand? Uh, I, can, I can live with that kind of, that kind of promise. I can live with that kind of, that kind of, you know, charging into it saying, God is with me. 
God is with me. He's going to give grace. And I have freedom to be able to, to raise this kid in a way that he or she needs. Uh, what, what, what freedom, what, what a wonderful, wonderful thing. Um, God's word has some overarching promises of grace to you as parents. Uh, I would like to commend to you a few verses uh, as go-to first verses when you're thinking through a parenting question. Sometimes what we can do is we can kind of say, uh, well, here's what's going on with, with uh, little Jimmy. And, um, and so uh, let me go s- dig through Proverbs and see if I can come up with the thing that speaks to that. Um, let me commend that you do this first. All right. Matthew 6, 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now, is this verse only about food and clothing, or is it for all of life? The promise is that we draw near to the Lord, and he is faithful to give us grace for our lives. Let's seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And you know what? I bet he's going to prove to be faithful in whatever it is we're thinking about, whether it's parenting or whatever else category you want to consider. Secondly, this is Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. As we face questions in this life, we can sit back and let the world conform us to it as it wishes, or we can commit first to going to God's word and prayer, and our minds will be transformed by the spirit of truth to behold what is good and acceptable and perfect. Will God be faithful to help us see how he would like us to parent? Yes and amen. So let's fill our minds with who God is, what he's like. Let's fill our minds again afresh with the love of the Savior expressed to us. Let's remember who we are because what Christ has done. Let's remember all these things. And you know what? That's going to set us on the place where, on the course, on the path where we need to go for our parenting. We will see what is the will of God, what's good and acceptable and perfect. If our minds are transformed, we start there. Start with your, with your mind being transformed by the word of God and watch what flows from it. The Holy Spirit is within you and is at work in your life. He isn't going to let these wonderful truths of the Lord just go unused. He's instead going to bring them to your mind. He's going to excite you by them. He's going to encourage you by them. He's going to strengthen you by them. And then lastly, as you consider counsel floating around out there, Take a moment to stop and recall Paul's words to the Corinthians. We destroy arguments 
and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Paul came to the Corinthians. He said, you're going to hear lots of things. Can't stop you from hearing things. I can't stop you from thinking things. But whenever you hear something, wherever you have a thought, here's what I want you to do. I want you to say, does this agree with what the Lord says is true? Or does this not agree with what the Lord says is true? And that's what taking every thought captive means. It doesn't say don't have bad thoughts. <laughs> what it says is when you do, when thoughts come, ask yourself this question. Does this agree with what the Lord says is true? Or does it not? If it agrees with what he says is true, let me see how it applies. If it doesn't agree with what the Lord says is true, let me reject it. So I want to leave you that there are two propositions in this life. There's worldly counsel out there that oftentimes does not agree with what the Lord has to say is true. And there is the good old path uh, that the Lord has given us for parenting um, that has promise, that has promise we can have hope in that and that we will be able to discern the difference between those two things. We can embrace that which agrees with the Lord and reject that which doesn't. And that is a tremendous comfort in the face of 607 million Google hits. All right. Uh, thank you again for coming and doing this. There are going to be little kids growing up in this church that will benefit from your being here tonight. Uh, what a legacy that you're setting forth uh, for yourself. And that is exciting to think about. You've been listening to a Cornerstone U class given at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Cornerstone U exists to have our minds renewed by the word of God, to see who God is, and to live in light of his word and gospel. To find out more about previous Cornerstone U classes, visit us on the web at www cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com forward slash cornerstone dash you.